Hello and welcome to Truth For Today with Terry Fan. And yes, I'm your host, Terry Fan. In a world full of confusion that leads to chaos, the answer for clarity is the absolute truth of God's Word. It has stood the test of time. I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and that God would speak to you one-on-one through it. If you're ever in the Florence, Mississippi area, then we would love for you to join us for live worship. Please feel free to reach out to me at terryfant at icloud.com. May the Lord bless you as he draws, shapes, and instructs you. Now, let's listen to today's message. Amen. You know, there's nothing really like freedom. Anybody will leave me in right there? Freedom. How many of you are glad to be free in Jesus' name? If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to join me this morning, make an invitation, if you will, to join me in 1 Peter chapter number 2. Y'all surprised by that this morning? No, because if you've been coming, you know that God has had us on a journey. We began on Resurrection Sunday. We've been just sort of working through 1 Peter. It's what we call expository preaching, meaning this. We go a verse at a time and a chapter at a time, and we just sort of walk through that together. And as we do that, we learn that each message builds upon the other. Now, you may be looking at me this morning thinking, "Uh uh-oh, Uh, This is our first Sunday, and so if all those messages build, what in the world am I going to do? You're going to learn, just like the rest of us, that they also, not only do they build one upon the other, they also are standalone. How many of you know that? Say amen. They stand alone. In other words, we're going to gather, we're going to gain, and we're even going to touch on some of what we learned back there to sort of bring everybody up to speed, if you will, as we dive into the Word of God. Now, I am thankful for a church, a gathering of believers who are very interested, very concerned, and very focused on knowing that central to our worship is the preaching of God's Word. Uh, The Scripture calls it the foolishness of preaching. Now, isn't that something? Uh, If you think about your life and how God has chosen to gather His people and what He wants to do in them, what is it that He's chosen to make us wise into salvation and to equip us for the work of ministry? It is, in fact, the preaching of the Word of God. And so this morning I got up and I said, Lord, you're going to, get, you're going to allow me uh, to go to the house of the Lord and to preach your word. And it is your spirit and your word. They are going to transform our lives. So 1 Peter chapter 2, the question we're going to answer, or actually we're going to make a, a directional message, if you will. And the, and the title of our message is, How to Testify in a Fallen World. How to Testify in a Fallen World. Do any of you have struggles sometimes testifying of Jesus in this fallen world? Anybody? Three of us. The rest of y'all are having just a ball out there testifying. Always to your customers, your clients, your co-workers of Jesus. Right, I'm going to ask that one again. I think you were asleep. Let me ask you again. Are ready? Uh, how many of you say you have a difficulty sometimes testifying of Jesus in a fallen world? All right, there we go. There's a little bit more participation. So this morning we're going to look at how do we do that and what's, what is expected of us and what would God say to me and you this morning about testifying of Jesus because sometimes we think that testifying of Jesus is just simply opening our mouth and telling of the good news of the gospel. But I want to remind you that it is uh, half of the story to share the good news of the gospel with words. The other half of the story is to share the gospel by how we live our lives. And when you pair the two, when you pair a gospel-transformed life, when Jesus has taken residence and he's really become Lord, not a perfect life, but a transformed life, and you couple that with a verbal testimony of Jesus and the way to know God and to be right with God and what Jesus has done, what you will find is your life will become a soul-winning life. Your life will win other souls to the kingdom because of your testimony, both of how you live and the words in which you speak. Isn't that exciting? To know that your life here on earth could be more than just your job. That, by the way, if you die today, they'll replace you by the end of next week. And and more than just your home, which, by the way, somebody else is going to own it about 50 years from now. Uh, And maybe 100 years. We'll we'll go away. It probably won't still be standing Uh, that long from now. But let's just consider for a minute that which is eternal. So how to testify in a fallen world. Let me give you some context of what's going on. Remember the author is a man by the name of Peter. We learned some things about Peter. Peter was a chicken little. Remember chicken little Peter? Anybody? Yes. He said to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, I will follow you to the ends of the earth. I'll follow you even if it costs me my life. The rest of the disciples agreed with him. Yes, yes, yes. And Jesus said, no, you won't. Before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And Jesus was... Right, and Peter was wrong, and yet Jesus still loved Peter. Isn't that beautiful? What a theme. And so 
In the midst of that, he knew he was going to betray him. He knew he was going to uh, deny him, and yet he still had perfect, wonderful plans for his life. And now we see Peter, after the resurrection, after the coming of the Holy Spirit, uh, first part of the book of Acts, we see Peter preach to some 3,000, more than 3,000. We see him preach to a large group of people who were partly responsible for Jesus' crucifixion. So he went from chicken little Peter to bold lion Peter because of the resurrection and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So he preaches that first time, you remember, and his message is simply this. You ready? Y'all just pray this sweet little prayer and everybody will go to heaven. No, he said, you group of rascals, you killed the Son of God, and the Father has risen him from the dead, proving he's the Son of God, and he basically says, you murderers, you killed him, and he's the the King of glory, and the end of his message, you expect them to say, all right, we're going to crucify him next, except they say, what must we do to be saved? And so, wonderful illustration of a life that is not perfect, but God used, and so Now we have him later in life writing a letter to a group of believers in a place where the ruling authorities have burned and caused wreck and carnage and for the purpose of rebuilding, just a satiable love to build. And so the Christians have suffered persecution not only because of the fires but because the king said, well, Nero said, I'm going to blame it on them because they're weird and different and so I'm going to blame it on them and now they're facing persecution only because they call Jesus Lord of their lives. They've been blamed for the fires. They've been blamed for all that's wrong in the world. And so what you see is a little similarity to the world in which we're living today. And if you'll listen, if you'll listen to culture, culture says that we are the reason uh, that there's no love in the world and we're the reason that, uh, that everything's not accepted and we're the reason. And so today, we can similarly, listen, I know it's not the exact same. I know we've not lost everything in a fire. I know that here in Florence and Richland and Madison, all the different places that are represented in this gathering, I know that your neighbors aren't threatening your life because of your faith in Jesus. I know that. But we can relate because we do still face difficulty. Will somebody amen right there? We do. So we're learning here in chapter 1, just want to kind of review quickly. As he's writing this letter, they're facing persecution, and they're going to continue to face persecution. And we've talked a little bit about the fact that when we're reading this letter, we would expect Peter to say something like this. Hey, you guys are going through a very difficult time. Don't worry about if you blow your testimony. Don't worry about shining too bright. Matter of fact, sort of keep it on the down low. If you shine too bright for Jesus, they're going to kill you, and they're going to persecute you and your children, your wives, your families. So just sort of keep it low and don't really worry. Try to blend in, but what you find is the opposite. You find a call of God through the man of God to rise and shine in the darkest hour. And so maybe you're facing some dark hours in your life today. And I want to say to you that God is saying to you, don't put it on cruise control. Use the backdrop of the darkness of difficulty to shine brightly the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he tells them in chapter 1 that they have this, this living hope. Do you remember that's where we started on Resurrection Sunday? They have a living hope that come, when it comes with this living hope is, is, is heaven. This inheritance that doesn't fade and doesn't have to be repainted and is saved in heaven. Uh, we've experienced a measure, but when we die, we'll get to experience all of it. Then he says uh, that it's kept by the power of God. Remember, we celebrated that because he didn't say it's kept by our ability to be perfect or to repent, but it's kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. We've learned a lot in chapter 1. We've moved into chapter 2. Y'all put your eyes there for just a moment. The beginning of chapter 2, we talked about a stone. Do you remember? We talked about the fact that Jesus is the chosen stone of God, but he's also the rejected stone of culture and mankind. And the fact that that cornerstone is the most important stone, the one that the rest of the building is built upon, and God has chosen him as the chief cornerstone. You Listen to me. You cannot have relationship with God apart from a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me say it another way. You cannot be right with God unless the cornerstone, Jesus, is Lord of your life. There's no way. He's the cornerstone. Everything else is built on top of that. And so now we're moving into chapter 2, and we're going to talk about, because he's just told them in verse 11 and verse 12. Do you all see that with your, with your little eyes this morning? Yes? Verse 11 and 12, he says, Beloved, I beg you, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims. In other words, your citizenship is heaven. You don't belong here, so don't blend in here. Let me say that to you again. You don't belong here, so don't blend in here. I'm going to say that to you one more time. You don't belong here, so don't blend in here. Even when difficulty would be a great reason to blend in. Don't blend in. I'm begging you, he said. Live different. You're ambassadors of Christ, citizens of a heavenly city. And so live different down here, okay? And then he says, uh, notice the word that he calls them in verse 11, because we're going to see a pivot. He calls them beloved. Y'all see that? Nod your head if you see the word beloved in your, t- in your scripture. Beloved means the beloved of God. It means uh, the Scripture The scripture talks about us being the beloved children of God. And he's, he's reminding them of their relationship with God that Jesus has purchased for them. But now he's going to pivot and say, now I'm going to explain to you your relationship in society. 
I'm going, to, I'm going to explain to you what this living hope looks like in society, in relationships. And by the way, tonight we're going to get in marriage. Let me just sort of look around. And so if you are married or not married, uh, maybe, maybe married or what were married, I want to beg you to be back tonight because we're going to have a blast. I'm telling you, I'll probably get in trouble before it's over. But you be here tonight as we dive into what this living hope looks like in marriage. But this morning, it's in society, okay? Y'all with me? Give me a little head nod. You feel like you got a little footing now as to what's going on? I know I could have told you a story to entertain you, to get you warmed up this morning, but I felt like it would be better if I gave you some context. So now, with that being said, would you stand to your feet in honor of reading God's Word, okay? So we've learned a lot about Peter, about his audience. Now we're looking at the purpose with which he's writing. They're facing persecution. He wants to call them up, all right? Now we're picking up. In verse number 13, okay, verse number 13. And we're going to read all the way down. Are you all ready for this? Some of y'all looking tired this morning. All the way down through verse number 25. Have you got it in you this morning, anybody? All right, here we go. Let's begin in verse number 13. Therefore, therefore what? Well, because you're sojourners and pilgrims, because you have this living hope, because you have an inheritance, all of this, what he said so far, because of that, uh, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this, y'all help me, is the will of God, that by doing good you may pull to put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice. Now that means a cover-up to do whatever you want to do. Uh, but as bondservants of God. Verse 17, honor which people? All people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God and even honor the king. Now, remember, this is an evil king. Y'all, anybody tracking with me? This is a king that's persecuting Christians. This is a king who's, who's just as happy seeing Christians killed and tortured as he is waking up and, and, and sitting outside watching the sunrise. Now, so he says, uh, yet as free, not using that as a liberty, uh, as a cloak for vice. But then verse 17, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Now, verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the which ones? To the harsh. For this is commendable if, because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it when you are beaten for, what, for your faults? You take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this, uh-oh, you were called. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Can you see the footsteps of Jesus for just a minute? Verse 22, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, what did he do? When he suffered, what did he do? But committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. Why? So that we having died to sins, might live righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Let's pause for just a moment and bow our heads and our hearts before the Lord. Now, as you bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment, I want to say something to you before I preach this word. Now, this isn't one of those messages that everybody's going to be so fired up and excited and all of we're just falling over ourselves shouting amen. Um, but I believe with all my heart, it's one of the most important messages you and I will ever hear, and it's how we testify in a fallen world, F dealing with the government and, and evil people in evil situations, okay? So would you right now ask the Lord to help you listen attentively and take good notes both on maybe on a tablet, on your phone, or especially in your heart. And so, Father, this morning I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that you would help me once again, once again, God, as if this would be my last opportunity to preach because it may be, that I would preach this word with boldness and clarity, Lord, with unction of the Holy Spirit, that, Lord, we would hear. And so as you help me to preach, help us to listen. Father, I pray that you fend off the birds, the demons that are striving to take away the seed of your word from us and steal it so that it won't have impact in our lives. And I pray today every person would, Lord, empowered by your spirit, sit on the front edge of our seat and hang on every word as if we're sitting in a room with just you and you, like a loving father, were speaking life to us. So please do it again. And we pray it in the wonderful and magnificent name of Jesus. And the people of God said together, 
Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. And I pray this morning God would empower me and you to be a little excited about what we're about to hear, okay? So, again, the title is How to Testify Where? In a Fallen World. Now, y'all going to have to act like you're excited to be here. At least pretend, okay? One more time. The title was How to Testify in a Fallen World. Fallen World. So, uh, you agree with the fact that we're living in a fallen world. Raise your hand. We're living in a fallen world. You see the evidence all around us that culture is not getting better. It's not becoming uh, more like God. It is moving the other direction. Would you agree with that statement this morning? Nod your head. Okay. So uh, how then do you and I still testify of the Lord Jesus and our relationship with him in this fallen world. Now, again, the context is going to be a little different. Theirs is much more difficult than ours. Somebody amen right there. Can you imagine what they're facing? And yet we hear this instruction. So here's what I want to say to you as we get started. If it applies to them, how much more does it apply to me and you in our pretty easy situations? Okay, now let's dive in if we can. There are just three Roman numerals we're going to look at this morning, all right? A couple of them are going to have lists, so just hang tight. All right, it is a, it's a short outline. I don't know how many words will be included. We'll see what God does, okay? Roman numeral one in your notes. Well, before that, let me give you the main idea. What is the main idea of what we just read? Verses uh, 13 down through 25, here it is. Followers of Jesus testify by how they live in a fallen world. That's how we testify. It's not just that we hand out tracts. It's not just that we stop and tell people what Jesus has done for us. It's not, that's not the only side of it. Uh, the people of God, followers of Jesus testify by how we live, help me out somebody, in a fallen world. You, you see, we need a fallen world. We need a, a dark backdrop in order that the light would shine and be glorious, okay? And so as we think about that this morning, followers of Jesus testify of how they live in a fallen world, by how they live in a fallen world. Number one, we testify of Jesus. Watch this. This is going to get you fired up. You're going to be so excited about this. I can tell by looking at you this morning, you're going to be so fired up. Here it is. You ready? We testify of Jesus by obeying the government. I like that right there, boy. Y'all looking sideways like a calf at a new gate. What did he just say? Yeah. Now, some of y'all are thinking, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. We, we, we got an evil government. We've got an evil, evil. Let me tell you something. Remember the context of where we're finding instruction this morning. This government perpetuated and cheered on the torturous public deaths of those who profess Jesus Christ as Lord. Now, we've not gotten there yet. Can I say that to you again? As bad as you may think it is, uh, the president and his cabinet cannot send someone to your house, dip you in wax, put you on a pole in the garden, the rose garden at the White House, light you on fire, and read a book by your burning body like Nero could. So as difficult and bad as your, our American way of thinking sees it as, it is light in comparison to the government they were dealing with. Would you all nod with me if you're kind of following along? Okay. Because our flesh will wrestle against us the whole time this message is preached. Because we'll say to ourselves, yeah, but our government is not, is not following the Lord. You think Nero was? So it still applies, right? Let's move that out of the way. Here we go. Roman numeral one. We testify of Jesus by obeying the government, all right? Now, there are two things I want to list out here in these verses that I want to make and highlight to you this morning. Number one is this. We, why do we obey? We obey for Jesus' sake. Why would you obey the laws of the government? We obey for Jesus sake. So why do you do the things that you do that the government, local and national say? Because it is glorifies Jesus when you and I follow the government. What? Boy, that's something you don't hear preached a lot. And I'll tell you, preachers oftentimes have a tendency not to preach it because they're afraid you'll say, well, I don't really like that. But here's what I say about that. It doesn't matter really if you and I like it or not. It's still, it is still the instruction. It is still the way. It is still the way of peace. It's still the way that honors God. And those of us who've been born again, man, we're not here to be entertained. We want to sit down at the Lord's table and be fed good nourishment for how we walk out these doors and go live it. Now, there's a portion of us in here just came this morning to be entertained, just to check it off the list, and it's going to be a great struggle for you. But my hope is this, God will still use you being here and His Spirit and His Word to help me and you. So let's look at that verse together, right? Verse number 13 and 14, okay? Num we said, number Roman number one, we testify of Jesus by obeying the government. Now, let's break that down into two things. The first thing we see about obeying the government is we obey for, y'all help me, Jesus' sake. Where is that found? Verse number 13. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. Therefore. Now, remember, he's pointing back to everything that he's already said. Because we have this living hope. Because we uh, have been born again. Because heaven waits for us. Because our temptations and trials are temporary. 
Because Jesus has done what he's done, uh, we should submit ourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord. And listen to what he says here. Why should we do it for? Y'all reading with me? Verse 13. For the, well, we're mumbling that thing this morning. For the Lord's sake. And so why should I do what the government says do? Why should I do what the law enforcement says do? Why should I do what the instructions say do by the government God's placed over me? Is because it glorifies the Lord when we do so. So we obey for the Lord's sake. Now let me just tell you something. Every fiber of my being and your being is against that. And I want you to understand something today. Some of y'all out there saying, well, what if, what if the government ordinance is making me do something that is against my faith? Is that a logical question this morning? Any of you thinking that out there this morning? Because he's saying we should obey him. And when we obey them, we are glorifying God. It's for the Lord's sake. I'm not doing it for the government's sake. I'm not doing it for my family's sake. When I find myself obeying the, 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 the governance of the, of the land, I'm doing so for the Lord's sake, right? So is it then a logical question to say, what if the, the government tells me I have to and it's something against what I believe the Scripture teaches? Anybody have that question going on in your head this morning? And so the answer to that is what we're going to find, the whole theme of this book is that Jesus Christ is, is preeminent. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And when a person comes to faith in him, he is Alpha, Omega, beginning and the end of that person. So I am, in fact, to follow the ordinances of the government until their leadership and what they're telling me I have to do comes in conflict with what the Word of God says I'm supposed to do in my relationship with the King. Y'all walking with me this morning? And so that means I am under biblical authority to go against what the government says. If the ordinance of the government says I've got to do this and it's against what the Word of God says. Anybody out there? Now, that's freeing, isn't it? That's freeing. And it may come a time, listen, it may come a time, it hasn't yet, but it may come a time in our lifetimes that we have to live that in opposition to the government, in obedience to the king. But he's saying, generally speaking, generally speaking, the ordinances of the government are for our good. Generally speaking, the ordinances, in other words, the laws and things that are in place. Uh, do you know why there's uh, speeding limits imposed on the roads? Statistics show that higher speed accident, we, we respond different at higher speeds, and wrecks at higher speeds are a lot more fatal. Now, we don't like to talk about that when we get a ticket, do we? Anybody still in the house? Y'all making it difficult on me this morning. I said we now. I didn't say you. And so when, we, when that happens, we get all bent and sideways, and, and, and the thing about it is is that if we just be logical about it instead of mad about the money we have to pay, if we just be logical for a minute, we realize that those, those laws are imposed there so that, well, there's less accidents and you have more time to respond. So I could go on and on, but I'm not. So we obey, why? For the sake of Jesus, for Jesus' sake. He said, for the Lord's sake we obey, all right? Reading into verse 14. Whether it is the king as supreme or the governors or as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. Remember, he's speaking here generally that, the, that generally speaking, law enforcement and the rules and laws of our land are for our safety. Did you know that? And that's what the Word of God says. So we obey for, y'all help me. Boy, it's getting hard in here this morning. Number two, I knew y'all weren't going to like this message. Number two, we testify of Jesus by obeying the government. Number one, we obey for Jesus' sake, all right? Now, if you don't love Jesus, don't obey the government. I'm going to turn it up a notch since you guys are just going to stare at me. If, if, you, don't love, if you don't care about Jesus' name and his reputation and his glory, go break all the rules. But if, in fact, you've made the confession, Jesus Christ is Lord, then you and I should humbly Obey the ordinances of the land. I'm moving on. Number two, we obey for Jesus' sake. Number two, we obey because it's God's will. Did you know that God's will for you is that you would obey the ordinances of the government? You may not have known that, but now you know that. Somebody's like, man, I wish it would have came. I'd rather just operate in ignorance. Uh, no, no, no. Listen, you're still, you're still accountable. Amen. Ignorance of the law is no reason with which to disobey the law and follow the law. Now, listen, this is not the law. This is the encouragement of God for his people. Finding with me now in verse number 15. So it's for Jesus' sake. We find that in verse 13. But in verse 15, we say, for this is, y'all reading with me? This is verse 15 and 16. We obey because it is God's will. Verse 15, for this is the will of God. What is that you obey the ordinances of man, that you follow the rules, that you go along with the government. Now, again, it doesn't mean in practices that are against the Word of God. It doesn't mean, and by the way, uh, shouldn't this then, listen, let me just, I've got to say one more thing about that. Shouldn't this then also make us a little more into um, uh, elections and candidates? 
Uh, if, in fact, the Word of God says, I'm supposed to follow what they say, uh, then, then isn't it, isn't it, doesn't it put a little more weight on the fact that I'm going to get to know candidates that I'm voting for? I'm going to find out what they stand for. I'm going to ask them questions. I'm going to be present. I'm going to dig in. I'm not just going to go and just kind of just haphazardly go by. Because if I am by, by God, uh, my relationship with Jesus, I'm called to follow the leadership of the government. Then I need to be careful who I put in. Come on, somebody help me. I need to be careful and mindful and prayerful about who I put in uh, my vote to in, in authority, okay? So we obey for Jesus' sake. We obey because it is God's will. Let me read verse 15. For this is the will of God that by go, excuse me, by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Now, what's going on here? Remember, they're in a society that's saying those Christians, they don't, they don't go with the law. They, they're, they're, they're evildoers. They set fires. They're, they're anarchists. They're trying to buck the system. And so that's what the people of their day were saying about them and using that against them. And in their minds were distancing themselves from God because they were seeing Christians as evildoers, setters of fire, those who are against the government. And so Peter says to them, listen, no, no, no. In fact, this is what's true. You should follow the laws of the government so that by doing so, let me read, all right, uh, so that by doing so, uh, you put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Now listen to what he's saying. That word put to silence is a word that means put a muzzle on. And I want you to think about that for a minute. Because uh, have you ever had a dog on a, on a leash, somebody else's dog, or on a chain or somewhere, maybe behind a fence, and you could tell that if that dog could get to you, that dog would injure you and have fun doing it. Any of you can relate? You've seen that happen before? And let me ask you this question. Have you ever been to a place and seen like a, at a veterinarian place where they've put a muzzle on the dog? You know, it's open, the dog's not harmed, the dog can breathe, everything's fine, but he just can't bite you. And boy, that's a, that's a nice thing, isn't it, because they can no longer. And the picture here is that by following along with the government, your life is testifying that you are not an anarchist, you're not somebody who's trying to throw the government off, right? Instead, you are somebody who lives at peace even in a foreign land. Now, you say, wait a minute, America's not a foreign land. If you're a child of God, it is. Uh, you are a citizen of heaven, and he's already said that. So... We obey because it is God's will. He says that ignorance of foolish men. Then he says, notice something in verse 16 that we need to hear this morning, and that is as free. So, so as free, we are free. Okay, now how is he applying following the laws of the government to being free? It's just interesting because he says you're free as free people, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice or as a masquerade for evil. In other words, I might say, well, I'm saved in Jesus' name, and I know I'm going to heaven, and so I'm going to overthrow this government. I'm going to, I'm going to uh, act out. I'm not going to follow the rules. I'm going to be my own person. I'm going to have a camp out here in Florence that's just for Christians and not follow the laws of the land, and we're going to just board ourselves in, and we're going to be against the things of God. See, that's not biblical. It's not biblical. What he says here is that I'm free to do that. In other words, let me say this. If we did that, if we built a compound out here, walled this thing up 12, 12 feet uh, walls on the outside, had everything we needed on the inside, and we thought, we said, well, we could follow the law of, of God better, we can walk with God more, more intensely uh, than, than we can out there. And let me ask you, if we did that, would that send us to hell? No, we're free. That's what he's saying. As free. We're free to do that. We are free to do that. Matter of fact, if I break the speed limit, am I going to hell? If I disobey the laws of the land, am I going to hell? Is it going to send me to hell? If I'm born again, no. No, what he's saying is you're free. You're, you're, Jesus has set you free. But don't use that freedom as an excuse to break the law. Don't use that freedom to, to, to be your own country, to be your own island, to be your own he says, you're to be a productive citizen in the town in which you live. And to do that in such a way that people get to know you and say, man, those Christians, they're not what people say. Put a muzzle on their ignorance. Now, ignorance is not a mean term. They just don't know. So think about what he's saying. Really, you see a little bit of God's grace here because he says, you put a muzzle on, you silence those foolish people who are speaking in ignorance. They're ignorant. It's just the fact that they don't know what Christians are. They have an idea. Maybe they read somewhere in an article in the Washington Post that Christians are this and Christians are that, and then God puts you in their city and puts you in a, a, a workplace, and there you are, and they're getting to know for the first time somebody who professes Jesus as Lord. And by them watching your humility and how you obey the laws of the land and your workplace and what have you, they're able to, they, they, they quit talking negative. 
Because they see. They're not ignorant anymore. They have an informed decision of who a Christian is because they're watching you. Anybody picking up what I'm putting down this morning? You, you see why it's so important to testify in a fallen world? How do we do it? We do it by following the government, all right? I'm sorry. Some of you are like, man, I can't believe I came here to hear a message about following the government. We testify of Jesus by obeying the government. Two things we said. We obey for whose sake? Jesus' sake. Number two, we obey because it is God's will. Now, he says we are free to do whatever we want to do, right? But we don't use our freedom to buck the system. But as bond, now notice what he attaches at the end of verse 16. But as bond servants of God. Now, that word bond servant is a word that means a free will slave. Now, when I say free will slave, I'm not saying a slave that has his free will or her free will to do whatever they want to do. I'm saying a person who has intentionally chosen to put themselves under the authority, right, and leadership of another. Did you know that's what happened to you the day you got saved? You turned in your rights. Uh, you, some of you are like, what? I did that? Well, you may not have and you may not be saved. But salvation, true salvation is a surrender. It's a waving of the white flag. It is a, I no longer want to be Lord of my life. It's why our confession is Jesus is now Lord. And we turn over our deeds and we turn over the title deeds of our lives and our possessions and our time. And we say, Lord Jesus, here they are. They're yours. Now, would you direct my steps? And yet, I'm, I'm afraid to say that because we live in this great, wonderful nation and we've had such great freedoms and we have. And men and women have lost their lives defending them. Because of that, we bring that over to our relationship with the Lord. And we say, now, you can tell me what to do as long as it doesn't step over certain boundaries. But can I say something to you this morning? He's not the president. Some of y'all got that. Some of you are still thinking on it. He's not the president. He's not the sheriff. He's not the governor. He's Alpha, Omega, beginning and end. He's the ancient of days. He's El Shaddai. And so when we come to faith in Jesus and we're made right with God, we then say, here's my life. Now, you direct it. Every step of it, you direct it. And some of us had not quite gotten there yet. So as we walk through this thing, we testify uh, of Jesus by obeying the government, Okay. And he says that it is, we are bondservants, we are slaves. Somebody in here right now said, I'm not going to follow the, the, the laws of the government. And that means that you have not yet become a bondservant of God. I'm not going to follow the laws. I'm not going to. And you've not yet become a bondservant of God. See, if a slave of God says, here's my rights. And God says, okay, here's one of the things I'm telling you to do. Obey the government. And I may not agree with it. I may not love it. I may not be happy. And it may not feel like to me sunshine and rainbows. But I know it's the will of God, and it's for Jesus' sake, and I'm going to do it. Because I'm, I no longer have rights to my life. I don't get to make the decision. Listen to me. I no longer get to make the decision of whether or not I'm going to or not going to. That was made when I confessed Jesus as Lord. Can I say that to you this morning? Aren't you glad you came to Hickory Ridge? I'm not going to just frill you and fluff you up, pat you on the, on the shoulder and send you out. I'm going to give you a heavy dose of the Word of God that will transform your life. And so we say following the laws of the land. Now, verse 17, this is going to be number two. There are going to be three today, three major points. Number two, no list after this one. I just want to make a point here from verse number 17. If you will, number one, we testify of Jesus by obeying the government. Number two, we testify of Jesus in our relationships with others. Did you know that? that? Did you know that your relationship with Jesus is on display in your relationship with other people? I wish somebody would interact with me today. I want you to know that what we're about to learn is... Your relationship with the Father brought about through the shed blood of the Son and the power of His resurrection and the indwelling of His Holy Spirit is on display in your relationship with others. Now, we're going to address others here in a, in a general way because He's going to say all people. Now, all people means what? All people. Uh, one more time, all people means what? That means even that person at work? Yep. You mean even that, that son of a gun that t always treats me so mean and unkind? Yep, yep, even that person. Even that boss that just mistreats me and spitefully uses me? Yep, even that person. And so what we're going to find out, but then tonight we're going to get more specific as we get to the marriage relationship, okay? So whatever you do, listen, don't leave your seat empty tonight. If you care about how you testify of Jesus in your relationship with your husband and your wife or your future husband or your future wife, Make sure you're here. And listen, if you've got some friends that are going through some things, make sure they get here. And if you've got some friends that are married that maybe don't go to church anywhere, you can say, hey, tonight's message is going to be like a, some encouragement for marriage. They, listen, get them here. Whatever you got. Take them to supper tonight if you need to. All right? But let the Word of God wash over them. So, number two, we testify of Jesus in our relationship with others. Listen to what he says in verse 17. Honor all people. That means Nero. That means you're honoring the king as supreme. You're honoring the law enforcement, the governor. You're honoring. And, by the way, you can't honor them if you're constantly slandering them. 
Let me say that to you again, Christian. Now, some of you aren't born again, and I'm not speaking to you. But those of you who are my brothers and sisters who are born again, who are followers of Jesus, uh, it's time you and I stop making negative comments and, 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 and all the manner of nonsense that we do with government officials and begin to support them in prayer. We may not support their policies. I've told you that before. I, when I said that I was a supporter, a Biden supporter, oh, I had some people that just got sideways. And I want to be clear about that. I don't support his policies. Heavens. But I support him in prayer. Why? Because I'm a child of God. That's what I'm called to do. I don't make jokes about him. I don't talk about how negative. I don't talk about the fact that what's going on in his life and how, you know, his mental. I don't talk about it. I just simply talk to God about him. I say, Lord, would you touch him? Would you help him? Would you arrest his heart? Would you bring him into the family? If he's not, God, would you direct his steps? And I pray for Kamala Harris. I pray for, we ought to be people who honor them. How can we honor our government? By praying for them. I wonder if you would start today and pray for your government officials every day for the rest of your life. Instead of contributing to the problem by complaining and putting negativity out there, if you would instead contribute to the solution, that is to honor them through, y'all help me through what? Prayer. prayer. You'd be a people of prayer. You and I would be a people of prayer. So uh, we want to support our government uh, by praying for them and obeying them. Let me just read a little further along verse 17. Honor all people. Does that mean my neighbor who's been so mean to me about that property line? It does. Does that mean my sister who got the heavier uh, uh, reward in the inheritance? Yes. Does that mean the person at work that is costing the rest of us to have to work double? Yes. Honor which people? All people. Boy, we need the Holy Ghost of God to do that, don't we? I'm telling you with all I am, I don't have a fiber in my being that can do that unless the Holy Spirit of God helps me. Next thing he says, love the brotherhood. Now, notice what he does here. Honor all people. But there's a special place of love that you should have for other people. Believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. There ought to be a, I call it this, there ought to be a sweet spot in your heart for other people who claim to know Jesus as Lord. Now, some of you say, yeah, but some of them are the most difficult people in the world. I understand that. I can be and you can be. But to have a special place for them means I want to love them. I want to spend time with them. I want to help them. I want to help them to grow. There ought to be some, something inside of you, the Holy Spirit, who gets that? The Holy Spirit inside you ought to make you want to help other believers be all they can be for the glory of God. And you can't do that by gossiping, and you can't do that by uh, pacifying. Uh, the only way you can do that is by being in a, in a deep relationship with Jesus, fed by the Word of God, walking with them, doing some of that together, talking about Scripture together, meditating on praying for one another, and holding each other accountable. Oh, we need the help of our brothers and sisters in this journey. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Then he says, now watch this. Here's what I want to share with you, that, that Peter is reminding them that if, in fact, the government puts in place an ordinance that you have to follow that goes against the Word of God and goes against your principles of faith in Jesus, then you remember you fear God way before you ever honor a king. There's a difference between fearing and honoring. Somebody amen right there? And he says, supreme in your life is your relationship with Almighty God. And everything else flows from there. But because he's supreme, I'm going to find myself living differently in society. I'm going to submit to the government. And next, he's going to talk about another form of submission. Let me read on. He says, honor the king. So he's reiterating, honoring the, honoring the earthly king. Now let me move to the second section, all right? First, we said we testify of Jesus by obeying the government. Then we talk about the fact that we testify of Jesus in our relationships with which people? All oh, people. You mean I'm testifying of Jesus about how I treat that rascal at work that always pushing my buttons? Yes, you do. Especially the difficult ones. Number three, and finally... Now, can I get a smile out of somebody in the room? We're going to have to hand coffee out next week. Everybody's going to have to drink two cups before you come in uh, next week. All right? Number three, we testify of Jesus by submitting in difficult situations. We testify of, of, of submitting in difficult situations. Now, you say, preacher, why would you word it that way? Well, because nobody in here is a slave. Nobody in here is a slave to a taskmaster. You with me? Uh, not, a, not a soul in here. Some of y'all are like, yes, I am. No, you're not. You're not the property of somebody else who does not get paid, who works and is the possession of another person. Nobody in here is that. Can I say that to you again? Nobody in here. So it's going to be very difficult for us to make application here. The best that we can do, look up, is to apply it to our bosses or maybe our customers, right, that sometimes have the upper hand. Anybody with me? Our, 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 okay, so we're going to see a difficult, well, we're going to see good and bad. 
But we're going to see a principle here that we're going to be able to apply, okay? Even though none of us is owned by somebody else, none of us is uh, the property of another human being that's told what to do, when to do, and so we're going to just have to make a stretch here to make application. Here we go, verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your, help me with the word here. All right, one more time. Servants, be submissive to. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, Peter. What you're saying by the Holy Spirit is that if I'm the purchased property of somebody else, maybe I was born into slavery, maybe I was purchased into slavery, maybe my parents used me to pay off a debt, and I'm now serving as a slave, all right? And I'm in this situation, and you're telling me what I ought to do is find myself in submission to the one who owns me. Yeah. Now, everything in me, everything in me, as I've studied this and looked at it from every different angle, everything in me has a, can I just be honest with you today? Um, everything in me has a difficult time with that. Anybody else say that, that you hear God saying, be submissive to the one that owns you um, and, and do what they say do? I, anybody else have a hard time with that besides me? Am I the only one? Okay, just a, there's a several of us. The rest of y'all, I'm not sure about you, all right? I'm not sure about you. But for those who raise your hand, agree. I mean, think about it. I mean, I've really wrestled with it these last couple of weeks as I've been studying ahead and reading ahead and spending time with the Lord. Uh, you know, so what is he saying? I, because here's the thing. How many of you know that that would be a, we don't really know, but can imagine that would be a very difficult situation? You're owned. Somebody owns you like a piece of property. Now, maybe somebody has tried to treat you that way before. Has anybody ever tra- tried to treat you like they own you? How'd you handle that? I like that. Just some smiles out there. Uh, we're having some bad memory recall right now, aren't we? And so they owned them, and, and I have a tough time with another human owning another human because we're, you know, we're all humans. Uh, by the way, they're not two races. Y'all have heard my spiel. Uh, science has proven uh, what the Bible's already taught us, that every human being goes back to one set of parents. Now, if there's only one set of parents, how many races of humanity can there be? You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure that out. And what you will also find out is that science has proven that the color of our skin is determined by the amount of melanin that is in our body. And melanin doesn't make you a different creature. Melanin doesn't make you any more superior or less superior. Melanin just makes you lighter and darker. So really, we're all shades of brown. Melanin in its nature is brown. Some of us less, some of us more. And in the midst of that, we had slaves. We had situations in our nation that had slaves. And I just can't wrap my mind around some human being owning another human being as a possession. And, and, and mistreating them. And, and he's even going to talk here in a minute about beating them. And, and how, how the Christians of this particular day were supposed to respond uh, to, their, to the actions. So uh, I want to give you a list of three things before we close, okay? So we testify of Jesus by submitting in difficult situations. Number one, we graciously obey all those over us. Notice the word gracious. Anybody see the word gracious? We graciously do what? We love that word, don't we, humans? Come on, y'all. We love the word obey. I wish I could tell any young ladies to say, hey, listen, I know the old way of doing weddings. Do you? Can we take that word obey out? We don't like the word obey. We hate it. None of us like the word obey. Now, listen to what he says here. We graciously obey all those over us. Notice I said all. If you're writing in your notes, circle that word all. Underline the word gracious. Just highlight it in your brain, all right? Verse 18, here's what he says. Service. Now, remember the whole context. They are living in difficult times of persecution, but they have a faith in Jesus. They have a hope that's coming. And when they die, they're going to heaven. It's reserved in heaven for them. They've been born again. Their sins have been forgiven. They have a living hope, a living hope that can't be killed by an evil king. A living hope that can't be snuffed out by difficult days. And he's saying, now, because you have a living hope, this is how you live the testimony of Jesus in society. Number one was obey the what? Government. Submit to the, so y'all ain't going to even remember it for me. Mm. We testify of Jesus by obeying the government. Number two, we testify of Jesus in our relationship with other people. That's how you live it out. Even with those neighbors next door that are, that are threatening to kill you because you set the fires, honor them. Don't mistreat them. Don't retaliate. Don't be mean to them. Doesn't that sound comfortable? Your neighbor's telling you, sir, Mr. Jim, I'm going to kill all your cattle, and I'm going to hurt your children because we know you set these fires on because you've trusted in Jesus. And he says, honor that person. Can you imagine that? Honor them. Whew, I don't know about you guys, but this is extremely difficult instruction. Come on, somebody amen with me. We're moving right along in verse number 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear. 
not only to the good and gentle. So he's saying some of the slave owners were very good and gentle. In other words, they treated them right. They took care of them. They were gentle in their dealing with them, all right? So he says, be submissive then. Now, now even though I can't get the concept of a human owning another human, uh, it's just so f- crazy to me. The, I, could, I sort of can get when he says, if you're, if you, and listen, by the way, this is not promoting slavery. It's speaking to a, a fallen situation on the earth. He's telling you how to live in that. Remember, it's a fallen world. He's not telling them how to live in a perfect world because uh, that's heaven, and we'll know how to do that when we get there, amen? Um, but he's telling them how to live their faith in a fallen world. And so he's saying, listen, some of you guys, your, your master is kind and gentle. Listen, do what they say do. Be submissive and humble. Follow their leadership. Accomplish the task they, they give to you. Uh, and then he says, so, so, so I can sort of get that. I can sort of wrap my brain around that, you know, that, that okay, if they're good to me, then I can, I, it's easier for me to be good back to them. But y'all, y'all agree with that statement? If somebody's good to me, it's easier to be good back to them. Yeah, and so, except, so, so remember the word grace. I'm going to hit it here in just a minute. So he says, be good to those, not only the, the good and gentle ones, but also to the harsh. Wow. Let me read a little further. For this is commendable. If because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering how? Wrongfully. Now, now the picture here, the picture here for harsh is, uh, well, listen to what he says in verse 20. He's going to flesh out what that means by harsh. Because right now, some of you are thinking, well, this is speaking to my boss. My boss is harsh. Now, I'm going to ask a question of you, okay? Now, now, your boss may be in here, so be careful. Um, How many of you would say that, okay, I'm going to do it generally. How many of you would say that somebody in your life that has a position of authority is harsh? Raise your hand. Harsh. Now, in your mind, your idea for this morning of harsh is maybe verbally abusive, right? Uh, maybe talks down to you, maybe treats you like, a, a, like they own you, what have you. But that, in fact, is not the definition of the word harsh that's used here in the Greek, okay? Now, let me, let me flesh it out. You, you're looking at verse 20. In case you don't have a Greek study Bible, you can't go and research words, look at verse 20. It's going to help us to understand. For what credit is it if when you are beaten, oh, oh, so they're harsh not just by you know, not speaking to you. They're not just harsh by not giving you the promotion. That's not harsh in this context. He's gonna, he says, for what credit is when you are what? Beaten. So the harshness of this particular word is related, in fact, to beatings. Beatings. Now, I don't think, maybe you've had, maybe your dad was that way, your mom was that way, your grandparent was that way, maybe you had a teacher that was that way. But not many of us, as we're in adults, have people that we consider to be harsh beat us every week. Is that, a, is, that a, is that a valid? Can I just say that's a fair statement? Raise your hand if you agree that's a fair statement. Not many of us have somebody that beats us week in and week, week out. So he says, what credit is it if when you're beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? In other words, you did something wrong and you got punished. And you take that quietly. He said, There's no, that's not grace. You, do you understand that? When, when you get, what you, get when you, what you earn, when you did something wrong and you get punishment, that's not grace. In other words, if you're speeding and you take your, you know, you're not supposed to madmouth the cop, you're not supposed to run him down the road and, and mistreat him, right, or her, you're supposed to take your ticket and say, thank you, I was breaking up, right? I wish somebody would wait. Well, we don't, we don't like when it gets practical, do we? And, and so we, we take that and we go on and we move on. That's not commendable before God. That is expected. That's just normal activity for the believer, except the problem is it's not very normal because we're a free nation and we are, we've been promoted that our way is the only way. We, we think we can talk to law enforcement and treat people however we want to treat them, and it's not the case, if, not if you follow Jesus. That's how we testify of him. When the officer pulls me over and he pulls over an unbeliever, there ought to be a difference in how we respond, and it's a testimony of Jesus. So he says, if you're beaten for your faults, what, what honor is there in that, right? He says, but, but when you do good and suffer, when you're doing the right thing, when you are a, again, now we're going back to context, when you are owned by somebody, I just can't wrap my mind around that. When another human being owns you, whoa, whoa, and you are serving them because you, they own you, what? Then, then what you do is if you, if you do that and you suffer and you take it, you're looking at verse number 20, if you take it, how? Patiently, this is in fact commendable where? Before God. So here's the picture. You're, 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 you're a slave. Somebody else owns you. And you get up in the morning. They tell you when to get up. And they tell you what you're going to have for breakfast. They tell you what you're going to do. And you do it to a T. And then they pummel you for it. 
Now, the word here for beaten is the, is the same word used for what they did to Jesus. And so he's not just talking about walking by you and punching you and making fun of you. But probably your boss hadn't done that. Probably your boss hadn't just reached over and smoked you in the face one time and then walked off. But that wasn't what he's talking about. The word is literally pummeled, beaten. It means that somebody just held you down and beat you and beat you and beat you and punched you and beat you over and over and over again. And in that moment, because of a consciousness of a relationship with God, you're not supposed to retaliate. That is so foreign to how you and I think. It's why right now we're, I'm telling you, you ought to see the look on your face like, whew, I don't even know if I, because we can't even hold back from retaliating when somebody's verbally mean to us. Right? We, we get verbally abused when somebody gets our parking space. And what he's saying is this, the reality of a relationship with Jesus on display for the world to see is when you find yourself under the authority of an evil master and they are pummeling you and you endure it patiently. This is, here's the word, commendable. Now, when you read that word in English, how do you feel? Anybody, anybody, here, here's, when I read commend, I'm like, uh, I'm looking for something a little heavier than commendable. Anybody else? Oh, well, you took that beating for the 56th time and you did everything right, so that's commendable. Huh? I want to hear, that's wonderful. I want to hear that's spectacular, right? I wanna, and here's what that word literally means in the Greek. It, it's a word that is used for gracious. It means that you responded in a way that was not common. It was unexpected. It was against what should have happened. In other words, when somebody wrongs you, there is an expected way to respond. But for the believer, in this scenario, you have an evil master, you've done everything right, and he is pummeling you, and you respond with grace, you respond with patience, you respond with kindness. It is an act of grace, and it glorifies God. Now, there should have been some loud amens right there. But because we are so foreign to the idea of suffering for the glory of God in this wonderful nation in which you and I have been born into, it's so hard for us to imagine that God would say, if you find yourself in this situation, here's how you testify of me in this fallen world. If you're being mistreated simply because you're a believer, Keep on doing it because that's gracious. Now, let me remind you something about grace. Write this in your notes, okay? Here it is. Grace is not grace unless it's undeserved. Now, I'm, I'm building. Grace is not grace unless what? Undeserved. So if somebody has never done anything to me, I can never show them grace. Stay with me. If someone has never done anything to me, matter of fact, they've not been kind to me, but they've not been mean to me. They've not done anything to harm me. I cannot, I'm, my hands are tied. I can only show them kindness. Is anybody tracking with me? That's all I can do. I can't show them grace. I can only show them kindness. And so what I want you to understand is it requires me being mistreated in order for me to show grace. And when I show grace, it glorifies God. So in essence, I'm... Instead of me being mad and throwing a fit when people offend me and do wrong to me, I should, in fact, say God just gave me an opportunity to show grace. But it's all tied. It's all tied. Now, this is interesting. I'm about to show you something you didn't see, all right? It's all tied to verse number 19. Listen to what he says. For this is commendable. If because, if, if because of a, y'all reading with me, verse 19? If because of a conscience toward God. You know what that literally means? That word translates literally from the Greek. A conscious understanding of God's presence and this relationship I have with him. So here's what that looks like. I'm going to simplify it. If I'm being pummeled by my master, I've done everything right. I've shown up for work, but I wasn't getting paid. It's not work. I'm a slave. And I'm doing so wonderfully, and I'm serving well, and he's pummeling me and taking his anger out on me and beating me continually, and I'm taking it graciously, and I'm praying for him, and I'm being kind to him. I'm responding by grace to him. What he's saying is the reason that it honors God is because in that moment, the only way I'm able to do it is if I'm conscious that I have a relationship with God, and he's called me to something higher, and he's given me his Holy Spirit to say, because everybody here said, I can't do that, I can't do that, I can't do that. And you're right, you can't, but if the Spirit of God is living in me and you, yes, we can. And it's a conscious understanding, okay, why would I do that? Why would I do that? If somebody's doing me wrong, I should have just set them straight. 
If somebody's harming me, I ought to just get them right and tell them how I feel and unload on them. No, 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 not if you're conscious that you have a relationship with God that was purchased by blood. You don't deserve it, but Jesus paid for it for you. And you're now gloriously and wondrously saved, and you're in a foreign land headed toward home. Then you say, oh, and the reason is those who are acting that way probably aren't, and God wants them to be. Let me say that to you again. Because those who are beating you over and over and mistreating you harshly and treating you wrong and unkind probably are not headed for heaven, probably are not indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And by your testimony may come to know Jesus as Lord. He wants them to, and he'll even use mine and your suffering to bring them into the family. Oh, I know I'm giving you some heavy truth this morning. I got some Sunday morning, every other Sunday morning worshipers this morning, and this is wrecking your world. Because it doesn't sound like just come when you want to and do what you want to. It doesn't sound like just pray the simple prayer and everything's fine. You're forgiven by God. It sounds like there is some cost to this relationship with following Jesus. And my friend, I want to assure you there are. And suffering has a purpose. And the purpose is not so that we'll be happy. The purpose is that we'll be holy. And that other people will come to know Jesus by how we respond, how we testify of Jesus in difficult situations. Oh, that's good stuff. I wish somebody smiled. I'm telling you, that's good stuff. So number one, we graciously obey all that are over us, good and not good. I've got to hurry, y'all. About run out of time. Number two in this list, we humbly follow Jesus' footsteps. Write that in your notes. We humbly follow Jesus' footsteps. How do we do that? Look in verses 21 to 24. Are you there? Somebody amen? So now he's told us. Now, now by the way, I would, if, you do, if you don't know Jesus, you don't know the testimony of Christ, and you, you hear this, you think this is ridiculous. Who, would have, who in their right mind would want to enter into this, this religion, this, this kind of relationship with God that says you may suffer? And if you suffer, respond humbly so that through your suffering, others may see Jesus in you and come to know him. Okay? Who would want that? Man, we're from America. We want the, uh, the picket fence and land and a home. We want all the money and comfort and creature comforts. And we don't want any of that suffering nonsense. Who in the world would do that? Why would they do that? Here it is. You ready? Because Jesus gave us an example to follow. Never forget. Never forget. Look at me real quick. Everybody look at me for just a minute. Never forget it was suffering that purchased your redemption. Never forget it was the greatest amount of suffering ever poured out on a, on, a, on, a, on a man who was also God that made possible for you to be right with God and have a relationship with him. Never forget it was agony and suffering that made possible the Holy Spirit living inside you. Never lose sight of that. Don't just have the cross as an idea or something you wear around your neck or tattooed on your arm. Be mindful that it was suffering that brought you in the kingdom. And it may be your suffering that brings somebody else in. Following the footsteps of Jesus. You know, oftentimes I hear people pray this. I want to be like Jesus. You ever, you ever hear people pray that? You ever hear people pray, I want to walk like Jesus. I want to talk like Jesus. Lord, give me, here's what people say. Give me your eyes and give me your ears. and give me. You know, I want to see people like you see and I want to hear like you hear them. But literally, this is what the Word of God says, what it looks like to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Okay? Y'all with me? All right, here we go. Let's begin verse 21. For to this you were called, what? Because Christ also suffered, help me somebody, for us. He left us an example that you should follow in his steps. Now, the word there in the Greek for example, I know I'm giving you a lot of Greek words because they're, they're just so heavy. It's a picture of, it's, it's really works over. So it's a, it's a picture from Peter's childhood. When he was a boy, uh, they would uh, oftentimes in writing, uh, when they were teaching them to write, they would have a, a schoolmaster or a parent or an adult writing the letters, and they would trace, they would write over the letters. Do you all know what I'm talking about? Do you remember, any of you remember the, the, the tablets we used to get? I, I, don't, I guess they don't make them anymore. Uh, but you'd open it up and it had dotted lines, two solid lines and a dotted line in the middle, and it have capital letters and you'd, you'd write over them. You'd follow the, the, the dotted lines. You with me? And that's the picture here. But now he didn't, listen, Peter didn't struggle transferring from uh, following exactly the lines of the letters to following exactly the footsteps of Jesus' life. Wow. So we like little kids copying over a letter, following those lines precisely, are now putting our footsteps in the very footsteps that Jesus walked precisely. Let's read, okay? Y'all with me? Verse 22, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. So suffering is not an excuse for sinfulness. Anybody get that? If I'm following his footsteps, Jesus taught me by how he lived 
Suffering is not an excuse for what? Boy, y'all going to have to come on now. We got to finish. Suffering is not an excuse for sinfulness. That's, that's what I learned right away. So he did it without, without sin. Uh, verse number 23. Who, when he re- was reviled, he did not revile in return. So if I'm going to like a little child looking at my father in the form of the son, Jesus, and I'm going to put my step where he stepped, and I'm walking exactly where he steps over here and he walks over here, part of the thing is, all right, so now I'm in a situation like Jesus. Very different but similar. I'm being reviled for my faith. Somebody's mistreating me because of my hope in Jesus. Somebody is just being mean-spirited and I'm being kind and I'm trying to love them, be gracious, and they're just mistreating me. And what I'm supposed to do in that moment is not take the step over here, which is what Terry wants to take, and throat punch somebody. Hello, anybody out there? Any of y'all got that nature in you? All right. Uh, But what in fact, because I'm a child of God, my testimony that I'm no longer this, the throat punch guy, my testimony now is I'm looking, all right, how did Jesus handle reviling? When people reviled him, oh, oh, there it is, grace. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to respond with graciousness. See the difference here? I'm telling you, it's such a clear picture of where to testify in this fallen world. Even in the midst of difficult times and difficult people, we humbly follow Jesus' footsteps. Let me read a little further. Who, when he suffered, he did not threaten. Now listen, Jesus' threats carried weight. If he would have made a threat like this, hit me one more time. Hit me one more time. I'm going to open the earth up and swallow this whole nation, and I'll start over. I need you to get that. Jesus' weight, excuse me, Jesus' threats carried weight. But he didn't make them. He didn't make them. As they punched him and they beat him, they pulled his beard and they spit on him. He didn't threaten them. Hey, y'all do it one more time and I'm going to set you on fire. He took it and he took it and he took it and he took it. They punched him. They slapped him. They pulled his beard and they put a crown of thorns, mashed it down into him and they slapped him and they beat him with that cat of nine tails, pulling his flesh from his body, exposing his ligaments and joints. And they beat him and they beat him and they slapped him and they punched him and they spit on him. He's bleeding and he didn't threaten one time. One time did he He just silently took it. You know why? Because that's how much he loved you. That's how much he loved me. You're talking about suffering was the gateway. You got me and you in the family. And how dare you and I think that suffering won't be our path or to reject harsh people when we have this example to follow. He goes on to say, he did not threaten nor he committed himself. And I want you to see, here's the key, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. You know what that word means, committed? It means he turned himself over and over and over. Every time you heard Jesus praying for the Father and he'd go along to pray, he was turning himself over. God, I'm committing myself. I'm trusting you with the outcome. I'm just doing what you said do because this is what you said needs to happen. And so I'm trusting you and I'm not going to step in. I'm not going to threaten. I'm not going to flex my muscles. Come on, somebody. I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it. I'm going to endure it. I'm going to respond by grace, but I'm going to do it by turning myself over and over to you. If Jesus did it, shouldn't you and I? How am I going to do it, preacher? If I try harder to be gracious, oh, no, no, no. It'll be a daily, hourly, minute by minute, committing my, turning myself over to Jesus. Jesus, I want to, but, but I'm committing myself to you. I want to slap somebody, but Jesus, I'm trusting you. I want to be mean. I want to say something back. I want to avoid this person. I want to, I want to, I want to, but Jesus, I'm committing myself. I'm turning myself over to you. I'm trusting you with the outcome. I'm believing in something greater out of my submission to you. All right, so we humbly follow Jesus's footsteps. Isn't that good news? Who by himself, verse 24, bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we having died to sin might live for, somebody help me, righteousness. By whose stripes we are Healed, the most uncontextualized verse of Scripture, I believe, in all the Word of God. People will take that verse and say, you're physically healed of every illness you'll ever face. And that is not at all. Remember, context is king to proper biblical interpretation. How do I know what he's talking about? He's talking about a courtroom setting. Stripes were punishments. By the punishments he endured, we are healed. What's he talking about being healed of? A spiritual disease called sin that was punishable by death and separation from God. Are y'all picking up what I'm putting down? What he's saying is judicially, by the blood of the Lamb, by the beating of the Lord Jesus, you and I were healed of our disease of sin. What a Savior, this Jesus. I'm so thankful for him. Anybody else thankful for him? Finally, verse 25, and I've got to close quickly. We are, number three, we are shepherded by the Lord. We have to hurry, y'all. We are shepherded by the Lord. Number three, we're shepherded by the Lord. Verse number 25, for you were like sheep going astray, but but now you have returned to, y'all help me, the who? Shepherd and overseer, bishop, the guard, uh, uh, the, the leader of your 
souls. Now, what that means is in life, you once were aimless in your conduct. You didn't have a goal. You didn't have a leader. You were your leader, so you did what you wanted to do. And so if you found yourself as a slave and you had a harsh master, it didn't matter. You could, you could fight back. You could retaliate. You might could even kill them, right, in response to them beating you over and over and over. But, but you have a new shepherd now. And so because you can't relate to that, and I can't relate to that because we're not owned by anybody, and our masters don't beat us every week, we can somehow make a leap from there to our people that we think are harsh, people that we kind of let ourselves. Listen, you know what we use harshness for? An excuse to let ourselves off the hook. I don't have to be kind to that one because look how harsh they are. They're just so harsh. They're hard to deal with. That boss, that person, that co-worker, that employee, oh, they're so difficult to deal with and they're harsh and I don't have to. No, no, yes, you do. If you're going to testify of Jesus in that situation, you've got to show them kindness and grace because you have a new shepherd, a new master. If you were your own boss, if you weren't born again, you would respond any kind of way. You would retaliate. When they revile, you revile. When they threaten, you threaten. But you have a new shepherd. And the difficulty of your life is the platform, the perfect platform to testify of Jesus. Let me ask you to bow your head with me for just a moment. Will you do that? Heads bowed and eyes closed. How to testify in a fallen world. We talked about it in two areas, obeying the government and submitting in difficult situations. How many of you would buy a show of hands and say it's been a very difficult message? Raise your hand if you just slip that up. Oh, yes. Hallelujah. How many of you at the same time would say, I'm going to in this moment ask the Lord to help me submit to the truth of his word. Would you slip your hand up? Even though it's hard for me, even though it's difficult, I know it's the word of God. And so, Lord, I'm asking you because we can't do it. God, would you help my heart come in line with your word? How many of you are going to view that person that treats you harsh a little different? Slip your hand up. You say, I've got some different ways to handle things. Why? Because you have a new shepherd. If Jesus is Lord of your life, you can't keep going the way you've been going. You can't keep avoiding him. You can't be mean back to him. You can't mistreat him. Not if Jesus is your shepherd. No, no, no. You no longer have an aimless walk. You have a aim walk. You're aiming at something. And that is Christ-likeness. So this morning, I just want to encourage you this morning that if you feel led, you may come to the altar and pray. If you've never been born again, you're reminded today that Jesus went through all that he went through so that whosoever would call on his name could be made right with God. By his death, by his stripes, by his crucifixion, you and I can be made well. We can be healed of our sin sickness. And by the power of his resurrection, we can be called God's child. So, Father, I pray in Jesus' name, if there are any among us who need to be saved today, that would be the day. Father, I pray for the rest of us that we would be an instructed people, that we'd find ourselves under the authority of your word, even though we may not love it. So please, minister in this time of response. Cause us to do whatever it is you lead us to do. And we ask it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with me?